And if you've been with us in our study of 2 Timothy on Sunday mornings, Paul has been addressing Timothy in this whole area of perseverance and faithfulness. Paul himself is at the end of his life. And as we read last week that the apostle, inspired by the Spirit of God, he writes, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect. And indeed we have seen in that and talked about, and we see it in Scripture, Paul was very faithful to the ministry in which the Lord had given to him. And he would write in chapter 1 that I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, uh, a teacher of the Gentiles, and for th this reason I suffered these things. So, Father, I do pray that as we continue uh, in this epistle that we would be encouraged and exhorted in some very important areas of our lives so we can grow and persevere and endure hardship, and that is to continue in sound doctrine, to rightly divide the word of truth, not get caught up in things that just is not profitable to our spiritual lives, that can actually cause ruin. So I do pray that you would just speak to our hearts and these things that are discussed here and told to us, that they be worked out in our lives. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And of course, Paul in his ministry would suffer much for the gospel. But he was never, never ashamed of the gospel. He saw it as a privilege and an honor to suffer for Jesus. He would be in this prison dungeon at this time as he's writing this letter. It's the last words of Paul the Apostle that we have in the New Testament. He's ready to be executed by the orders of Caesar Nero. But he never saw himself as a prisoner of Rome. He always saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And so Paul was a wonderful example to Timothy and a wonderful example to us here this morning of one that would endure hardship. And Paul would exhort Timothy, and it's an exhortation for all of us here at Calvary, that you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And we have discussed in this epistle how it was difficult days at this time that Paul is writing. Uh, there is there's challenges and problems inside the church of false teachers, but also externally there is the persecution of Rome. And we live in a day where it is difficult days for us as Christians as well. So we are told to endure that hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We are to run our race. And we run a race uh, just as he says that as you do that, you are to compete against uh, according to the rules. You're to be one like a hardworking farmer who works to produce a crop. And the thing for us to keep in mind is that Paul began the chapter by saying, my son, my son Timothy. He had a strong bond with Timothy. He, he loved him dearly as a son in the faith. He said, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And for us to keep in mind that we're not going to find strength in enduring hardship as a Christian, we're not going to do it in our own efforts. We're not going to do it as we try to muster it up in our own strength, in our, our own flesh, our own abilities. But it is a heart that is surrendered to the Lord and is walking in God's grace and love that we find strength. And so as we pick up our text here this morning, Paul continuing to encourage Timothy and, and us here this morning, in verse 11, this is a faithful saying. Now, as you go through the New Testament, Paul's writings, that there are times where he says, this is a faithful saying. And in, as we read here in verses 11 through 13, just a little side note, it is believed that this was an early church hymn that Paul is quoting. And for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. 
If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So there was this large effort by Caesar Nero persecuting the Christians. Many of them were being put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ in horrible ways. They were being tortured. They were being fed to the lions. They were being burnt at the stake. And they are being exhorted here, encouraged to endure hardship just as we are to do it as well. And just as Paul had endured hardship. And so Paul in verse 11 may be referring to those who will literally die at the hands of Rome for their faith in Jesus Christ. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And as we read this, this faithful saying, there's a pair of paradoxes, if you would, in this. Death leads to life. Suffering leads to glory. That Jesus has saved us, as we have read. He has abolished death. He has brought life and immortality for the believer but verse 11 also may be referring to, to us as believers how we identify with Christ in baptism. Now, Romans chapter 6, baptism is a picture given to us of the believer who, first of all, is were buried with Christ. The old man, the, the old woman uh, is, is buried with Christ. As we go under the water, uh, that picture of uh, dying, that picture of being buried with Christ, and then coming out of the waters in baptism, it pictures how we now walk in this newness of life and this resurrected life with Christ. We live. Also, we who endure, we will reign with him. Jesus is going to come back and establish his kingdom. If we ultimately deny him, he will also deny us. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. And then in verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, if you have a King James in your lap, I believe it reads that if you believe not, he remains faithful. And the thought of many Bible teachers and commentators is this, that if you do not believe in the Lord, he is still Lord. That is true. You can say that I don't believe that Jesus is Lord, but he's still the Lord. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. You, he cannot deny himself. You can believe that Jesus is not going to come back again, but he is going to come back again. You can believe that he's not going to establish his kingdom, but he will establish his kingdom. But also, Paul may very well be talking to the Christian here that perhaps falters in their faith. The commandment, the exhortation that we have seen in this chapter, continue strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Continue to endure and persevere. Uh, but what happens at different seasons of our lives and at different times, that we can end up wavering. We can end up being weak. There uh, can't be unbelief that comes into our lives. I stray away. And the good news is this that the Lord is still faithful and he still loves you. There is still forgiveness. There is restoration that is available to us. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said concerning this verse that it is not trying to be faithful, but it is looking to the faithful one. And there are those that will come along and say, hey, you're weak in your faith. You falter, you have failed, uh, you have strayed away and, and make us feel like there's no hope. 
Listen, the prodigal son, as we read in Luke's gospel, that took all the goods, his inheritance, and he wasted all of it on sinful living and, and wasteful living, that he came to his senses and said, I will go back home. And he goes back home and the father sees him and runs to greet him and to receive him. And maybe, just maybe, there's somebody here today that you've been away and the invitation of the Lord is always this, to come home so he can receive you and forgive you and restore you and minister to you. We see Peter in the Gospels that he, he failed the Lord miserably when Jesus was on trial before the Sanhedrin. And there's Peter in a courtyard of, of Caiaphas and he denies the Lord not once, twice, but three times after he gave his allegiance. I'll never deny you. I'll never run away. These guys might do it, but not me, Lord. And then he heard the sound of the rooster and he saw Jesus coming out beaten and battered and bruised. And Jesus, it says in one of the Gospels, looked at Peter and he broke down. He wept and he sobbed and he ran from that place thinking that he would sever his relationship with the Lord because of his failure, his denial. He thought that, that the Lord must be through with me. And we know the story in John chapter 21, how Jesus met him up in the Galilee region and restored him, forgave him, commissioned him to ministry. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, tend my sheep. And if you're here this morning and you think, I haven't been very faithful in my living for the Lord. I falter in my faith. I feel weak. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I should be. Does the Lord still love me? Is forgiveness available to me? The answer is yes. He will never stop loving you. He is always faithful because he is love. And he cannot deny himself. And turn to him this morning. Come home if you need to come home. If there's sin in your life, then repent from that sin. Renew your trust in him. Rest in his love that he has for you. But you come home. And in verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. So, Timothy, you keep focus. Uh, keep reminding others of these things. And don't get distracted by unprofitable things. Now, what are those things? What were they to be reminded of? The apostle, again, talking about the glorious gospel. My ministry as a pastor here that I've been called to do as a pastor teacher is always to keep you reminded and focused on the gospel, on the truth of God's word. And it is important to remember that, that not only for myself, but you uh, as a Christian, you as a parent, as a grandparent, whoever you might be, for us here at Calvary Chapel, that we're to stay focused on the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. Because it can get very tempting for me as a pastor, for you as an individual, for us as a church to get our focus off the message that really matters. The message that the word of God, the truth of God's word brings to you and to me. And over the years, I have to be careful because I have logged years, you know, 24 years being here teaching the word of God. And what can happen is pastors begin to think, well, uh, I need to be real tricky and clever in my teaching. Uh, lots of stories need to be funny. You know, I I'm going to be entertaining. 
And so much today on a focus uh, of church methods and, and growth is, is definitely, it's more on the method than it is on the, the message. This is how you dress, and this is how you have your platform set up, and this is, you know, how you use certain words, and this is how you present yourself, all these things. Rather than being focused on just a simple teaching and bringing the Word of God to people, that's what we need. That's what I need. That's what we need to focus on, make it a priority. We must stand for truth, not focus on endless debates or opinions all the time, things that are of no profit, he writes. Timothy, don't strive about words to no profit. And hear what the scripture says, that the stakes are high, words of no profit. Interesting, he writes, brings ruin to the hearer. So is it ever wrong to use humor? No, it's, never, it's not wrong to use humor or to tell a story or to give my opinion. Believe it or not, I do have opinions. I have lots of opinions. And I will express those opinions once in a while. But it is not to be the focus. And it is not to be the primary importance of this ministry of my teaching. If I strive to give you words to no profit, it is not going to help you spiritually. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if people are not hearing the word of God, then ruin comes to them by the hearing of opinions and speculations and endless debates, the philosophy of man and the entertainment of man. So what is it that you're to be about? What is it that I'm to be about? Well, verse 15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I don't need to remind you how many times that Timothy is being exhorted in these two letters that Paul wrote to him to keep the sound doctrine and to teach it. And as we see this repeated over and over again, it's important. Timothy, remember that this is just not only important to me, what Paul is emphasizing, but this is important to God. And it's not just a message to Timothy, but it is a message to all of us that you be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Continue in the exhortation that I have, have written to you in this chapter. And that is that you stay strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, that is you work hard, be dedicated, be disciplined like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. Don't be lazy. Don't be sloppy. Don't be uncommitted. But you be diligent to present yourself approved to God, not to people, but to God, not to man. Now, as we read this verse, as Paul here is, is writing to Timothy, uh, we think it, it's only speaking about Bible learning, Bible teaching, you know, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Listen, this is more than just book learning. This is more than just academics. This has to do everything with an attitude. It has to do with an action. It has to do with our walk with the Lord. 
We are to be faithful to God first, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Now, as we read this, the word approved means one who has been tested, found acceptable. Ashamed here means one's work is below standard and cannot be accepted. Now, I think that most of us, if not all of us, at some time in our life, that did you ever, you know, do something and you just did a poor job at it? Maybe when you're a kid and your mom told you to clean your room and you didn't do a very good job at it. Or maybe a teacher, you had a report you had to do or a project and you did a poor job. You didn't put a lot of effort into it. Maybe a boss, a supervisor, that you, you're doing a poor job and you were called out on it and you felt embarrassed about it. You felt bad about it. And I think that most of us, that we've experienced that to one degree or another in our lives. And for me, not that any of us, that we do this perfectly. But I want to have the heart and the mindset. I don't want to do a bad job for you, Lord. I want to please you. I want to be approved unto you. I don't want to be ashamed. I know that one day I'm going to stand before you at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ and give an account for what I have done, whether good or bad in the body. My works being rewarded. I don't want a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble that's going to burn up. But I want those things that please you, Lord, to shine forth like precious metals. I want to be one showing myself to be honorable and trustworthy regarding the word of God. Now, back in ancient days at this time, coins were minted by hand, and they didn't have presses and, and minting machines like you go down to the Denver Mint down there where they make millions of pennies, and, and they can do it in mass quantities. Back in this day, coins were minted by hand. Coins molds had to be smooth. And sometimes men would shave off more than they should have. And that meant that the coin was using less of the precious metal than its apparent value. And some of the money changers that were men of honesty and men of integrity and men of honor, they were called dokimos. And they're in ancient Rome. And you've seen, you know, maybe the pictures of, uh, you know, in ancient times they had the scales, right? And they would test those coins. Uh, the dokamas was there in the, the marketplace. And he was responsible. Again, he was to be one of honesty and integrity. That, that uh, was one of, of uh, honor. Uh, they were responsible for testing those coins. And any coin that was a counterfeit would immediately be taken out of circulation. And only the full weight money uh, of, of true value was kept in circulation, not coins that were shaved down too much. We are to be diligent to be approved, dokimas, to God. And Paul, as he writes, you know, he, he writes in, for example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. That word is used in other places of the New Testament. Test all things, hold fast to what is good. Timothy in, in Philippians chapter 2 has a proven character. And it's what Paul is saying to us. Again, it's more than just academics and learning the Bible here. But what Paul is saying here is make sure what is inside matches what is outside. That what is in our hearts is being worked out in our lives. 
being a workman that does not need to be ashamed. I'm not cutting corners. I'm not going to slack. I'm not going to be dishonest when it comes to God's word. And if a pastor is not careful, he can become lazy when it comes to giving the word of God. I know that my responsibility is to study diligently and seek in the Lord on what it is that I am to say in the teaching of the word of God. And it's very easy at this season of my life to say, well, you know, I've done Bible study. I'll just kind of water things down or not really being prepared, not putting a lot of effort into it, cutting corners. Uh, we can do that as a parent when it comes to raising our children in the ways of the Lord. When it comes to teaching Sunday school or Bible study or discipleship, you know, whatever it might be. I remember talking to one pastor not long ago. He said, oh, I, you know, I prepare for my, my sermon on Saturday while watching football, college football. And I thought, okay, all right, whatever. So Paul would say to the Thessalonian Christians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, but we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Those of you who work for anybody, oftentimes employers will give a periodic job performance review. So can I ask us all a question this morning? What if God was to give us one? Not again that we'd be perfect. I, I'll speak for myself. I know I fail and fall short in a lot of different ways at a lot of different times. But it's a good question in the honesty of our hearts. Do we have a desire? Or are we wanting to be a good workman when it comes to handling the word of God, when it comes to giving it to your children, mom and dads, grandparents? You're sharing truth with others who are linked to you in your life. When you know truth yourself and, and, and continuing in the scriptures, which we must do. Timothy, we're going to see in the next chapter, you must continue in the scriptures that you've known from childhood. Are we continuing to make it a priority in our lives? Also in the next chapter, we will read that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul tells Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, Rightly dividing the word of truth, which means that you are accurately handling and teaching the word of God. Rightly dividing, literally in the Greek, means to cut straight. Now, any of you that are a carpenter, you know that when you cut a piece of wood, you know, you got to cut it straight. Masonry, you know, you build a wall, it's, it's got to be straight. When they teach medical students about surgery... And, and those who are going to do surgery, now they have laser stuff and all that that does a lot of incisions. But if you use a scalpel, they would teach them, you've got to cut straight. If you bevel it or anything, then it's going to create problems. So it literally means to cut straight. To be faithful, Timothy, as a pastor teacher, you are to rightly cut straight, rightly divide the word of God. That is, he was to know what it said and what it doesn't say. How is to be understood, how is not to be understood. He taught his congregation there in Ephesus that, that, that he, giving them the word of God, and that they were to be handling the word of God with knowledge and with understanding. 
And as a pastor teacher, that's what I am to do with you here at Calvary Chapel. Now, when we get back to Jeremiah on Wednesday nights, and I hope that you come out for that study because it's a powerful study and we just began it. But in Jeremiah chapter three, after the first year, when we get back to Wednesday night study, Jeremiah, he gives a verse. He says, God's going to raise up. He's going to raise up shepherds after my heart, God says, that will feed you with knowledge and with understanding. And that's what Paul is saying here. That as we, we know that, that there is this exhortation to feed the congregation with knowledge and understanding, to have a heart after God. And I will say this, that there's too many pastors that are behind the pulpit that are not rightly dividing the word of God. And please, I'm not trying to be all negative and judgmental and critical and all of this. That's just an honest evaluation of what we see in the church today. And just as it was in Timothy's day, as it was in Jeremiah's day, that there are those who mishandle and pervert and falsely teach the word of God. There are those who say, oh, there's no biblical morality. They're not teaching on any kind of fornication or sexual immorality or homosexuality. Just live any way that you want. Those things aren't wrong. Or on the biblical marriage. There are those who will distort and deny the creation story of Genesis. There are those who deny the divinity of Jesus Christ, that salvation comes by him alone, that he is the way, not a way, but the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. They'll deny that. They'll say, oh, we believe in the teachings of Jesus, certain things, but they don't believe who he is. The son of God who died for our sins and rose again. He's our only hope. They'll deny the miracles. There are the prosperity teachers that misuse God's word. We've covered that as, as Timothy was warned by Paul about that. And, and some of these guys are, are uh, you know, dressing huge congregations. Drawing in large numbers of people. We are to make sure that we don't distort and deny what the Word of God says. People have come along saying, this is my interpretation, twisting Scripture to meet their own end. Rightly dividing means that there is such a thing as wrongly dividing, and every pastor, every Bible teacher, every parent has a responsibility to rightly divide the Word of God, to correctly handle it, keeping it in context. James would write in his epistle that don't many of you desire to be teachers because you will be held at a stricter judgment, and that is something for me to remember. I will be accountable before God in what it is that I teach. But it's not only before God, I'll be accountable before people. And when I speak four services a week and on the radio and do live radio, you find that to be true. As a teacher, I will be held accountable on how I teach. So this is very sobering thought. That I am to be diligent, work hard in rightly dividing the word of God. And it is not any of us that will absolutely, you know, perfectly you know, give God's word because I am constantly learning. I am constantly growing in the word of God. But we are still to work hard in understanding it and learning it and then giving it to others correctly. 
And verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. So you avoid godless chatter, idle babblings, anything that will take you your focus off the gospel and the truth of God's word. Avoid that which is profane, that which is unholy. And, of course, we live in a culture, in a nation, where there is profane and ungodly chatter. Useless chatter is the literal translation. It is all around us, easy to, for us to listen to, accessible, and, and it's 24-7. This is a, a perfect description of a lot what is on, you know, reality TV, TV talk shows, radio shows, social media. There's just a lot of useless chatter. We want to know everybody's business. We want to hear the gossip and the inside story and what's their opinion and the analysis and how do you feel and what do you think. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm saying, not saying that you can't ever listen to, you know, talk radio ever or, you know, be on social media. You can't. Tell somebody how you feel about something or have your opinion. Of course, we have those discussions. But be careful to where it gets so much of what is discussed and focused on today is useless and profane or vain and idle babblings, and we can spend hours listening to it. I do not understand for the life of me why anyone would want to watch hour after hour of reality TV or some of the things that are out there hour after hour of just social media. And I think that the best thing that we can do is when we get into a discussion, we talk with others, whether it's the political or what's going on in society or whatever the case may be, is you keep a biblical perspective and you bring in the word of God. And if we would spend more time in God's word and less time in just focused on all that other stuff, just think how wise we would be. Bring wisdom into those conversations. Have a biblical perspective, a Christian worldview on things. We are told in Scripture to shun, avoid, and stay away from profane and useless and empty chatter because all it does is lead to more ungodliness, and it is so true. Again, in reference to what uh, is on TV or talk shows or social media, today it's almost like some of them, they see how bizarre and weird and warped we can be. Because they know that's what people want to hear. It spreads like cancer is what Paul writes. It's, it's literally gangrene. It will spread and infect and kill other tissues. It is sound doctrine that is going to keep you healthy as a Christian and will keep this church healthy. And then Paul mentions two individuals, Hymenaeus, Philetus. Hymenaeus, we already saw him mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul names him as one whose faith has become shipwrecked. He said, I've delivered them uh, to Satan uh, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And so he includes Alexander in with Hymenaeus in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Philetus here in this chapter, the text before us, somehow he's with Hymenaeus where there is a problem. They had caused division, confusion. 
They had spread useless and profane chatter in the church, and it was spreading like cancer. It was hurting the church, and they were saying the resurrection has already passed. Now, we know that the truth of the resurrection is crucial. It is the foundational truth of the Christian faith. And there are those in the Greek culture, the resurrection was something that was difficult for them to grasp. Because most of the Greek philosophers, they believed the soul was immortal, but not the body. So the idea of a physical resurrection of Jesus was hard for them to grasp. So Paul, he makes the case in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because Corinth being the center of Greek culture and philosophy, the Christians were more easily persuaded towards heresies and false teachings about the resurrection. Hey, Hymenaeus, Philetus, heresy, probably, we don't know exactly what it was concerning the resurrection, but maybe they were saying it was purely on a spiritual you know, uh, level. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, if Christ is preached that as we do, that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to the Christian faith, a bodily resurrection. And since Jesus bodily rose from the grave, then we have the hope that we will as well. We're going to receive a new body. That's what the resurrection is. It's not just eternal life, but eternal life in a new heavenly celestial body made for heaven. I did a funeral on Friday. <clears throat> I've done many of them. And as we were saying bye to Bob, who was a part of our church family, he loved the word of God. He loved Jesus. He spoke to everyone about Jesus. And as we were there at the, the cemetery and as he was in the casket and they're getting ready to lower it and everybody was saying their final goodbyes, you know, I had talked to them to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But there's a promise of the resurrection that his body at the sound of the trumpet, at the rapture of the church is going to be raised and he will get new heavenly bodies. No longer being sick or diseased, won't wear out, looking forward to it. So these guys were saying, interesting, that the resurrection had already passed. So it could be very well that they were saying that they missed the rapture of the church. But whatever they were teaching, it was heresy. It was harming the faith of the Christians. It was spreading like cancer. It amazes me how some new doctrine will come blowing into church, the church as a whole. New understanding, new revelation, new move of the Spirit, and it's not biblical on how many Christians will jump on the bandwagon. And they get all excited about it, and it sounds so spiritual, but as you line it up with the Word of God, as you rightly divide the Word of truth, it is bankrupt. And it does not measure to the test of God's Word, and we're to test the spirits to see if they are of God. That is commandment given to us in 1 John to see if they are, are of God. And many Christians end up getting hurt and deceived by the heresies and the deceptions that are out there. We need to be wise. Line it up with God's word. And if it isn't God's word, take it and lay it aside. Nevertheless, the solid foundation as we end this morning of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows these, those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. <clears throat> there are those involved in heresies, profane and idle battle. 
Babel, but nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, even though there are men causing problems with their erroneous teaching, the Lord will keep those who are truly his. Very quickly, Numbers chapter 16, Dathan, uh, Korah, Abraham, 250 leaders of the congregation of Israel. They come to Moses and Aaron, and they begin to complain. Come against those two leaders. You think that you're special, Moses. You think you're special, Aaron. You take too much upon yourselves. You exalt yourselves above the congregation. Well, we're holy too. And what they were doing as you read through that chapter and into chapter 17 of Numbers is that they were challenging the ministry of Moses and Aaron as the high priests. And it was Korah and Dathan, Abraham leading this. They got 250 leaders involved in this. It began to spread. And there was division. There was confusion. And Moses said, the Lord's going to show who is his. And he would tell those leaders, listen, depart from this iniquity. And these guys, Korah and Dathan, who caused problems, who was causing division and trouble amongst the congregation, the warning went unheeded. And you know what happened? The earth opened up and swallowed all those guys up and their families. If any of us want to find ourselves being swallowed up in confusion and in despair and in division, take heed and hang around those that focus on profane and empty chatter. Those who cause problems and division and confusion and heresies which lead to ungodliness. And I have yet to see a person that will prosper in the kingdom of God or their service to the Lord who side with those that Paul is talking about in this chapter that we're going to see next week as Paul says that there's vessels of honors and vessels of dishonor. But as we stay focused on rightly dividing the word of truth, let your speech be seasoned with grace, edifying the saints. Let no corrupt, corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. And you test the spirits to see if they are God. And you stay focused on the word of God. Make it a priority in your life. And stay away from the heresies and deception. And stand on God's solid foundation. And as you do that, as I do that, as we do that as a church... We're not going to be swallowed up. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this important message given to us this morning. And I thank you that we have the word of God right before us that we can continually grow in and, and that we can stand on and know that it is truth given to us. And, Father, I pray that we would be workmen who need not be ashamed Lord, that we would say, Lord, I want to please you with my life. I want to rightly divide the word of God, but not just know it, but have it affect my life, touch my heart, have it worked out in my life. And so, Lord, I want to pray, first of all, this morning as we come this Sunday before Christmas, Christmas in just a couple days, Listen, the greatest gift has been given to us, the gift of salvation. So first of all, I want to pray if anyone who's here that you've never come to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that he is your salvation. There is none other. There's nothing else. There's no one else that can save you. You cannot save yourself. He's the Savior given to all people. 
born in the city of David, Christ the Lord. And there was a reason why he came, because he would grow up, he would minister, he would declare that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He would go to a cross and die for your sins, and he rose again, he conquered sin and death, and he is Lord. He is Lord. Will you come to him as you come in faith? The Bible says as you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And you can receive the greatest gift that any man or woman can receive. It's free. It comes by just calling out on the name of the Lord, confessing that you're a sinner and you need him as your personal Lord and Savior. You can do that right now. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. And you rose again, you're alive. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for, for forgiving me, saving me this new beginning, bringing me into the family of God. And I do want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. But maybe you're here this morning and maybe it's in the honesty of your heart. You're saying, Lord, I'm not what I could be or should be. I, I've strayed. I've been distracted. I've been weighed down with maybe there's a sin that God's dealing with you about. Carnality. Maybe the cares of life even. And go to the Lord right now. He loves you. The invitation is always to come. And confess it and say, Lord, forgive me. And I know that your love remains. You're still faithful to me. And Lord, I turn to you right now and I need your help that I may live in your grace. Forgive me, Lord. Strengthen me. I just renew my trust and my faith in you, Lord, right now. And I thank you for your faithfulness to me in Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed any of those two prayers this morning, we have a prayer team come up. We want to pray for you and minister to you, but for all of us, that, Lord, as we leave this place, that we would be ones that great joy and peace and goodwill would come to us because we continue to look to that babe of Bethlehem, Christ the Lord, as we celebrate him this Christmas season. Take everyone home safely now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. May you may